This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera, a mix of old-school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones, the party arrived in the coastal town of Halstone after a dangerous journey across the wild Tainmoor. They returned the two children, Seren and Rowan, that they had rescued from the hags to the safekeeping of their father, who was overwhelmed with gratitude before seeking the comfort of a tavern. The companions had noticed the reaction of the townsfolk to Beric's shield and surmised that the brethren must have passed through the town and that someone there must have told them about the whereabouts of Valen and his master. Having secured rooms, the party sought an audience with the Reeve, a man named Brannock. We learnt that Halstone had recently been facing new threats, not least a recent incursion by the Brethren of the Purifying Light, led by the cleric Reynard of Harburg. After the party relayed their story, Brannock sent the garrison captain Igraine to verify their encounter with the hags, before confiding that he had no love for the Brethren and that he had sympathy for mages. Brannock saw the potential in this group of strangers, and as a man dealing with many problems, it was clear that he saw the companions as a possible solution. Chapter 6 Part 1 Day 13 Morning Party Status Beric 9 out of 9 hit points Lena, 6 out of 6 hit points. Kia, 3 out of 4 hit points. Valen, 4 out of 4 hit points. Spells available. Valen has memorized Push. A shaft of bright sunlight filtered through the gap in the shutters, diffusing in a hundred thousand flecks of dust and gently illuminating the room. Outside, a cart rumbled its way down the street, its cargo clucking noisily. Beric stirred beneath the blankets, yawned, and sat up, rubbing his eyes. He was pleasantly relieved to find his head without pain, which was surprising given the amount of ale he had drunk the night before. Brannock's men had returned with the heads of the slain hags, and word had quickly spread through the town. When the companions had come back to the anchor, they were greeted with cheers, slaps on the back, and ale on the house. Beric's attention was caught by the sound of footsteps outside the door. Whoever was there was whistling a jaunty tune. The door opened and Kier walked in. Morning, beautiful, the rogue said with a grin. For a man who drank more than I did, you're far too chirpy, Beric observed. What can I say? Kier said rhetorically. It's a gift. Kier was wearing a new set of leathers which were given to him by Brannock along with a bow and a quiver of arrows which formed part of their reward. 
Beric and Lena's mail had been repaired, and the pair had been given new shields bearing the Conwing sigil of a white stag's head on a green field. The companions had all received new clothes, and Brannock had also given them a purse of ten gold pieces. Beric pulled on his shirt and boots before donning his mail and strapping his sword belt around his waist. What hour is it? Beric asked before adding, Have I missed breakfast? Nah, you're good. It ain't yet the ninth bell, Kier replied. Good, because I could eat a horse. The two men went downstairs to the barroom where they found Lena and Valen already breaking their fast. They greeted each other and pulled up chairs as a servant brought over ale and plates of cold meat, cheese and bread. The two men began to eat. Brannock wanted to see us again today. Now we have gold, perhaps we should get some more supplies before going to the barracks, Beric said. Good idea, Beric, Balin replied. So, Kier announced. I went out earlier. After getting the cold shoulder yesterday, I figured that now that folk here think better of us, I might have more luck. Ordinarily, I would not allow a failed charisma check to be retaken, but I think in these circumstances, where the townsfolk have had genuine cause to re-evaluate their opinion of the party, then I'm going to allow Kia to try and loosen some tongues again. To balance this out, and because there's no guarantee that those he speaks to might yet have heard of the party's exploits, I'm going to make this an unmodified charisma roll. Therefore, Kia needs a 13 or less to succeed. Here is the roll on the d20. A 13. That's just good enough. Beric, Lena, and Valen all stared at Kier expectantly, as the rogue tore meat from a chicken leg with his teeth and began to chew. They looked at each other before Beric said, Well? Kier held his hand up before reaching for his mug and washing down the meat. <sighs> the rogue pushed his plate aside and looked around to check that they were not being overheard. He leant forward and spoke in a low voice. So, it was seen that the brethren were specifically looking for your master. He looked at Valen, who frowned. Apparently, the cleric interrogated a lot of people, threatened them with the pyre if they didn't cooperate. Then I cannot blame the one who finally told them. I can see no malice in that. Valen sighed. It would seem then that no one in Halstone intentionally meant us harm. The mage stated. That's what I thought, until I spoke to someone who'd actually been questioned. Valen raised an eyebrow. Oh? Yeah. Turns out someone helped the cleric with the interrogations. Someone local. Someone in authority. Kier said. Who? Valen asked. Kier drained his mug and looked at Lena. The priest. Two weeks ago. Day minus two. Father Keelnoth hurried towards the barracks. The rain had recently made the narrow streets muddy, and the priest was forced to hitch up his robes so the hem would not be soiled. Keelnoth had only been posted to Halstone six months prior, and he had already come to hate the town. He did not study under the greatest scholars of Alakazar, only to be assigned a parish in some godsforsaken backwater in an equally godsforsaken country, where the peasants took more heed in their heretical superstitions than they did the word of the Nine. 
It was during his studies that he was first introduced to the teachings of Armand of Carasson by a fellow student who was a member of a clandestine fraternity dedicated to the teachings of the radical cleric. The fraternity, called the Brethren of the Purifying Light, had been prohibited by the High Temple as subversive for its extreme interpretation of holy texts. Kelnoth joined the fraternity and was quickly radicalised, though he himself would say enlightened. The young novitiate enjoyed the sense of belonging, something he had seldom felt. He was not a likeable man, and when the brethren kidnapped and killed their first witch, Kaelnoth revelled in the feeling of power, particularly over one who was even more of an outsider than he. Though deep down, he knew that he was not a brave man. That was the point. Kaelnoth had only been in Halstone for three months when the old hermit had visited the town. The folk seemed to know him and treated him with deference. Though Kaelnoth's congregation spoke what seemed regular gossip about the man they called Amos Ap Howan. The priest had become more suspicious still when he had seen the old man talking with the midwife and given her a leather pouch. Some discreet inquiries confirmed his suspicions, and so Kaelnoth sent a letter to his old friend. The priest arrived at the barracks and was admitted without question. Scraping the mud from his boots on the step, he entered and proceeded into the hall. The men here were not Brannocks, instead members of the Brethren guarded the door. Kaelnoth pulled back the left sleeve of his robe and showed the guards a tattoo on his forearm, a tattoo of a blazing sun. The guards nodded him through and the priest opened the doors and entered the hall. Kaelnoth had been to the hall many times. As the town's priest it was his duty to confer with and advise the reeve, particularly when it came to the welfare of the townsfolk. He did not care for Brannock. He found the man intolerably effective and unreceptive to Kaelnoth's advice, which of course lessened his influence. Well now, thought Kaelnoth, now Brannock is paying for his hubris. Now he is humbled by the brethren. Perhaps now he would heed more a man of the gods. At the far end of the hall stood Brannock, who was in a heated conversation with a bald man who sat in a heavy chair usually reserved for the reeve. You're wrong. My lord will not stand for this outrage. The reeve turned and stormed past the approaching Kelnoth, cursing to himself. The priest watched Brannock leave the hall and slam the door shut. He turned back to face the bald cleric who was grinning broadly. The cleric got up, walked over to Kelnoth and embraced him. After a few moments, the cleric relaxed his embrace and held Kelnoth by the shoulders. Kelnoth, it is good to see you, my old friend. It has been a long time, Reynard. I thank the Nine you have come, replied Kaelnoth. Come, said the cleric. Tell me everything. Chapter 6 Part 2 Day 13 Morning Party status. The party status is unchanged. The companions left the anchor and headed for the temple on the west side of the river. The town was busy with the comings and goings of daily life. Riverboats passed underneath the bridge as they crossed over, though they did not linger. Halstone's main square was not grand. It could not be compared to the squares and plazas of great cities like Godsport. It was a modestly sized space, though it was one of the few parts of the town to be cobbled and so it would be used for festivals and feast days. Around the perimeter were some of Halstone's wealthier properties, 
the builders of which likely paid well for land close to the temple, in an ostentatious display of their piety. In the centre of the square, the party noticed that an area of the cobblestones was blackened and charred, as if a fire had recently burned there. The companions agreed that it would be best for Lena to question the priest alone. He would more likely talk openly to a fellow member of the priesthood, and the novitiate would less likely arouse suspicion. As such, Lena had left her mail and her warhammer at the inn, and wore simple travelling clothes, with her holy symbol on display over her tunic. The temple itself was typical of its kind. A rectangular stone building, with the stepped entrance facing the west, and the semicircular apse facing east. There was a small bell tower at the front of the building, and as the party approached, the bell began to ring. The doors of the temple were opened, and a handful of parishioners began filing out after having received the morning service. Lena waited for the last of the worshippers to leave before climbing the steps. Lena paused to make the ritual blessing by touching her forehead, then her lips before placing her hand over her heart. The interior of the temple was cool and quiet. The vaulted ceiling was supported by two rows of pillars down the nave. There were two tall windows on either side of the nave, the panes depicting aspects of the nine in a myriad of jewel-like colours. At the far end, in the apse, was another glass window. This one depicted the holy symbol of the Nine, an eight-spoked wheel around the central hub of Solon. As the east light flooded through the window, it appeared as if the sun itself was inside the temple. The light shone brightly on the raised altar, before which knelt a roped man. Hearing the footsteps behind him, the man ceased his prayers and stood to face the new arrival. He was perhaps thirty years old, with short brown hair and muddy green eyes. His face was clean-shaven, but was otherwise unremarkable. Seeing the young woman approach, the man gave a somewhat forced smile. Welcome, said the man. I am Father Kaelner. How may I be of service? There was a hint of irritation in the man's voice. Good day, Father. Forgive me for interrupting your prayers. My name is Lena. I am a novitiate from the temple in Godsport. I... Godsport? Father Kaelner interrupted. You are far from home, child. What brings you to Halstone? Lena silently bristled at the priest's condescension. There was something about the man that she did not like. I am on a pilgrimage, father, to Alakazar. Father Kaelnoth tilted his head questioningly. Then you are both far from home and your destination. It was not in Lena's nature to outright lie, though perhaps she could bend the truth. Yes, indeed. Whilst on my pilgrimage, I am carrying the word of the Nine to places where it is needed. I heard tales that power more still clung to the old beliefs, and that some folk here put their trust in sorcery over the Nine. I'm going to make a charisma check for Lena. Kaelnoth is a man who is suspicious of others, so I would normally apply a penalty to the role. However, Lena is a novitiate, so I will cancel this penalty. Therefore, I will make a straight roll against Lena's charisma of 12. Here it is. A 7. That is a success. Okay, based on that success, I'm going to use the simple Game Master Oracle to help me determine Kaelnoth's motivations and actions. Firstly, I want to know whether he has heard anything about the party from his parishioners. A 1. That is a no and. Hmm. I wonder whether this is intentional. I'm going to ask the oracle whether the townsfolk have lost trust in the priest. A five. That's a straight yes. Okay. So next I want to know whether Kaelnoth is aware that he has lost their trust. 
another one, that is a no and. That makes me think that Kaernoth is so arrogant that he believes the townsfolk are happy that the Brethren came, and that the midwife Magrit had been sent to the pyre. So finally, I want to know whether Kaernoth will try to recruit Lena into the Brethren. A three. That is a no but. Hmm, okay, let's see how this plays out. The priest said nothing for a moment, as if considering Lena's words. His eyes scrutinised the novitiate's face, and for a moment flickered lower. Lena suppressed a shudder. Then a smile broke upon Father Kaelnoff's lips, and the priest gestured that they might be seated upon one of the wooden pews. Well, he said, it is a pleasure to meet a pious young woman, and of good birth by the sound of you. Indeed, the peasants here are in need of salvation. I, of course, do what I can to show them the path to righteousness. You do the will of the Nine Father. Praise their light. Lena interjected to the appreciation of Kaelnoth before the priest continued. Why, only a few days ago we purified an unrepentant sinner with the flame of Solon. Kaelnoth boasted. We? Lena asked innocently. Kaelnoth smiled again. He leaned in, close enough for Lena to smell the staleness of his breath. The priest pulled up the left sleeve of his robe to expose the tattoo on his forearm. The Brethren of the Purifying Light, have you heard of us? <gasps> Lena faked a gasp. I have, Father. You root out heresy, do you not? We do, and we seek to encourage those in power to do the same. We have people in many courts. Of course, some in the clergy are squeamish about our methods, but the means justify the ends. We must rid the lands of the abomination of sorcery. Lena simply nodded in mock agreement. And the brethren that were here with you? Where are they now? The novitiate probed. They went back east, to Trevance. As for me, I will continue to do the Nine's will here. Kilnoth smiled again. Now, would you care to join me in prayer? Chapter 6, Part 3, Day 13, Afternoon, Party Status. The party status is unchanged. That damn priest! Bannock thumped his fist on the table. I knew he'd been speaking to the cleric. I thought perhaps he was trying to reason with him, but, but this, this is sedition, a violation of my lord's domain. It would not stand. The party stood in front of the reeve, unsure of the extent of his anger. After relaying her conversation with Father Kaelnoth to her companions, they agreed they must inform Brannock. The reeve composed himself and looked at Lena. You've done well. Brannock considered for a moment, then a look of resolve passed across his face. The timing is ill. Egrain is out on patrol with half my men. He grabbed a piece of parchment and began to write. After a few minutes, he dripped sealing wax at the bottom of the page before taking a ring from his left hand and pressing it into the wax. Brannock handed the parchment to Beric. Here, I have temporarily invested you into my service through this document, which also serves as a warrant for Kelnoth's arrest. Reynard may have had a writ allowing him to serve judgment on witches, 
but there was nothing to say the Brethren are no longer a prescribed group. Now go! The party took their leave and quickly passed over one of the town's two bridges to the old quarter and approached the temple square from the north. A few townsfolk were coming and going but the square was otherwise quiet. Ahead of them, the companions could see Kaelnoth standing on the entrance steps, conversing with a couple of goodwives. The priest turned his head and saw the party approaching. At first he showed no alarm, but then his eyes fell upon Lena, who was now clad in mail and bearing her shield with the Conwyn sigil. Kaelnoth's eyes grew round as the realisation dawned on him. Suddenly he pushed the two women aside and ran. Pursuit. The basic expert rules for pursuit are neither clear nor do they work for this kind of urban setting. I also looked at the old second edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, mainly because I have it on my shelf, but here the rules for pursuit are completely absent. Then I turned to the internet, but I could not find anything suitable, so in the end I decided I would have to homebrew something. Now, full disclosure, and I appreciate this will be heresy for some D&D purists. These homebrew pursuit rules are loosely based on those found in the 4th edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Personally I'm okay to magpie good things from other systems, but if that's too much for you then I do apologise, but needs must. So here are my simple pursuit rules which you can find with all my house rules at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Step 1 is to check movement rates. In the interest of speed and simplicity I'm going to treat the party as a whole and use their best movement rate, which is Kier and Valen. On this basis, Kernoth and the party have the same movement rate and therefore there will be no modifiers. Step 2. We establish the quarry's head start as a numerical value from 1 to 12. This could be DM defined or a roll of 2d6. I want this to be random, so I'm going to roll. A 7. Step 3. We roll initiative. Kernoth? A 6. The party? A 5. Kernoth has the initiative for any actions. Step 4 is a roll on a pursuit event table to determine or influence what actions may be taken. A 3. That indicates no event. Step 5. Actions are taken. Example actions might be to create or overcome an obstacle, to climb, hide, shoot, throw or tackle. As there are no events in this round, I'm going to say that no one takes an action. Step 6 is the move. This is the core mechanic of the pursuit. Both the pursuer and the quarry roll 1d6. If the pursuer wins, the difference is subtracted from the quarry's head start. If the quarry wins, the roll of the difference is added to the head start. If the head start falls to zero, then the quarry has been caught. If the head start reaches 12, the quarry has escaped. Here are the rolls. Kernoth, a two. The party, a four. The head start is reduced to 5 as the party gains on the priest who is heading towards the river. We now repeat until the pursuit is resolved. Should the pursuit get to 6 rounds without being resolved, both parties must make a successful constitution check or suffer a minus 1 to their move rolls. Round 2. Initiative. Kaelnoth? A 4. The party? A 3. Pursuit events? An 11. Again, that indicates no events. Move rolls. Kernoth. A 5. The party. A 6. 
the party gains more ground as the priest is slowed by constantly checking over his shoulder. The head start is now just four. Round three. Initiative. Keonov, a four. The party, a three. Pursuit events, a two. Again, that indicates no event. This makes sense as this part of the town is residential. Move rolls. Keonov, a two. The party, a one. Keonov is now running as fast as he can and he manages to pull away slightly. The head start is increased to five. Round four. Initiative. Keonov, a one. The party, a six. Pursuit events, a five. A trader with a basket of apples is walking down the street. I will make a dexterity check for Keonov to see whether he can pull over the basket and create an obstacle. Keonov's dexterity is 13. Here is the roll on a d20. A 19. Keonoth reaches out, but the trader sees him just in time and pulls the basket out of reach. Move rolls. Keonoth. A 4. The party. A 6. Keonoth lost pace to trying to pull over the basket and the party gain on him. The head start decreases to 3. Round 5. Initiative. Keonoth. A 3. The party. A 6. Pursuit events. A nine. That indicates a dead-end alley. I'm going to make a high-low roll to see whether there is a door into a building. On an eleven or more, there is. A seven. Keonoth will need to backtrack. I will give the party a free move die as a result. A one. That decreases the head start to just two. Keonoth emerges from the alley and the party are right on his heels. Move rolls. Keonoth. A five. The party. A six. The party are almost in grabbing distance. The head start is now just one. Round six. Having continued for six rounds, both sides will now need to make a constitution check or take a minus one penalty to their move. Keonoth has a constitution of nine. His roll. A 14. The stress and exertion have taken their toll on the priest. For the party, I will roll against the person with the highest constitution. That's Beric with 13. Here is his roll. A 20. That is a critical failure. Okay, I think I'm going to double the penalty for the party's move die. Initiative. Keonoth. A one. The party. A six. Pursuit events. An eleven. That indicates no event. The bystanders move clear as Beric yells, Out of the way! Move rolls. Keonoth. A two. Reduced to a one. The party. A 5, reduced to a 3. That's just enough for Beric to close in on Keonoth. The big man hurls himself forward, grabbing hold of the priest and bringing him down to the ground. After a minute of catching his breath, Beric got to his feet, pulling Keonoth up by his collar. The priest's face and clothes were covered in dirt. Keonoth turned his head towards Lena, a look of hatred in his eyes. He spat at her, though the phlegm fell short. Beric grabbed the priest by his tunic and lifted him off the ground. <sighs> Kelnoth cried out in alarm. Then Beric growled. You have some things to answer for. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. 
every review helps the show reach new listeners. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements. You can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, email at LegendOfTheBones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the Bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of Bone. <laughs>